This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We have an election next week, so we're going to talk about things related to the election. I think this election certainly demonstrates that uh, old saying that um, if God had wanted us to vote, he'd have given us candidates. But, you know, we'll, we'll go over these sad assortment laid before us, I think, in our second segment today. We should note that a couple of weeks ago, uh, we observed on 60 Minutes a guest we already had on Radio Parallax, David Keene, film historian from Niles, California. We talked to David a couple years back about movies being made in Niles back in the 19-teens, including The Tramp by Charlie Chaplin. Perhaps somebody sent you that video taken on Market Street about uh, 1905 or 1906. It was a remarkable film, and David Keene uh, unlocked some of the mysteries associated with it. We're keen to talk to them about that in our third segment today. We're hoping to bring on this program Charlotte Dennett, who... Uh, is running for attorney general in Vermont again. She's moving for accountability in uh, federal actions. She may not win, but her accountability efforts are not going to go away. You can count on hearing Charlotte on this program sometime before the end of the year. She's doing some good work out there in Vermont, and we're going to have her pal Christina Borgeson also join us in the weeks to come. But let us begin today's program as we like to do on this show with On This Date in History. The date in question today is the 28th of October. It was on October 28th in 1492 that the Italian explorer Christopher Columbus lands on the coast of Cuba and thinks that he has found Japan. A few days later, Columbus decided he was wrong and that he was, in fact, on mainland China. And no, we're not sure why it is he named the inhabitants of the Bahamas and Cuba Indians. We do know this. Columbus was a lousy geographer. And speaking of uh, stuff that doesn't make sense in the New World, courtesy of exploring, on October 28th in 1790, Spain and Great Britain signed the Nootka Sound Convention, by which Spain gave up its claim to absolute sovereignty over fishing, sailing, and trading rights in the northwest coast of North America. This claim was based on the Pope having given it to Spain in 1493. On October 28, 1919, the U.S. Congress passed the Volstead Act, which was the means by which they could enforce the 18th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, also known as the Prohibition Amendment, which banned the consumption and sale of alcohol. We know that Ken Burns has a special coming up, I think, next year on Prohibition. We're going to try and get Daniel Okrent, the historian who's written an excellent book on this very topic, to come on this program, and we think we'll get him. On October 28, 1886, the Statue of Liberty was dedicated. The statue was a gift of friendship from France. It was meant to commemorate the Franco-American alliance during the American Revolution. In 1892, Ellis Island opened as the chief entry station for immigrants to the U.S., and for the next 32 years, more than 12 million immigrants were welcomed into the harbor by the sight of Lady Liberty. In 1924, the Statue of Liberty was made a national monument. The statue is also the final scene of the movie Saboteur, a Hitchcock classic from circa 1941. We're still working on getting one of the stars of that movie, Mr. Norman Lloyd, to come speak with us. We were talking to his agent, and we think we'll get Norman Lloyd hopefully next month, but at the latest, perhaps in January. 
And finally, on October 28th in 1940, in what was described as a self-destructive act of hubris, the Italian dictator Benito Mussolini invaded Greece in what would prove to be a disastrous military campaign for Il Duce's forces during World War II. The Italians, in fact, got, bo- got bogged down in Greece and had to be rescued by their allies, the Nazis. It's been said that in an odd kind of way, Mussolini's fiasco in Greece may have won the war for uh, the Allied forces because Hitler's efforts to pull uh, Mussolini's chestnuts out of the fire delayed his invasion of Russia by a couple of months, which would turn out to be rather critical when the Russian winners set in before they had advanced as far as they'd hoped. So I guess we should salute Benito Mussolini's military incompetence. Oh, and one more thing I would like to mention. It's not an anniversary today specifically, but it was 40 years ago this week, October 26th in 1970, that the comic Doonesbury was first syndicated. And for 40 years, I must say, Gary Trudeau's comic strip has been, well, nothing short of a national treasure. Trudeau has garnered a well-earned Pulitzer Prize for his efforts, and I can't help but recall that Gerald Ford, as president, once noted about Doonesbury when it was still a young strip, that there are three ways people in Washington have of finding out what's going on. There's the print media, the electronic media, and Doonesbury. Not necessarily in that order. Our quote and quip of the day for today's election show are as follows. The quote's from Mencken, who once said, It's hard to believe that a man is telling the truth when you know that you would lie if you were in his place. Our quip is from Montaigne, who said, he who is not very strong in memory should not meddle with lying. All right, for our joke of the day, we have uh, things that are difficult, very difficult, and downright impossible to say when drunk. So we have three things difficult to say when drunk. Those would be innovative, proliferation, and cinnamon. Things that are very difficult to say when drunk include specificity, passive-aggressive disorder, and transubstantiate. And it so happens that three things that are downright impossible to say when drunk include, no thanks, I'm married. Also, frankly, I'm not interested in fighting you. And lastly, thank you, but I will not make any attempt to dance. I have no coordination, and I'd hate to look like a fool. Our stat of the day is 0.2%. That's what U.S. industrial production fell in September. It's the first time in more than a year that that, uh, that number has fallen. It does make you wonder a little bit about the, the stats from the government that said not so long ago, oh yeah, that recession, it, it's over now. This is the same government uh, that said, the same agency that said a year before, uh, no, no, no recession. Oh, 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 we were wrong. Yes, there was a recession. I think these guys later went to work measuring the, uh, the oil outflow from that, uh, that BP spell down in the Gulf of Mexico. All right, let's jump to the good, the bad, and the ugly. Apparently, it was a good week last week for conversions after the Vatican's newspaper proclaimed that Homer Simpson is a closet Catholic. 
I love the quote by Victor Simpson in the AP saying, Don't have a sacred cow, man. <laughs> yes, apparently writers at the Il Observatore Romano wrote, Few people know it, and he does everything to hide it, but it is true. Homer J. Simpson is Catholic. As noted on this program, last December, the, the newspaper also praised the show on its 20th anniversary for its philosophical leanings and irreverent take on religion. Said Il Observatore, The Simpsons remain among the few programs for children in which the Christian faith, religion, and the question of God are recurring themes. You know, I'm having some doubts about the Italian translation of The Simpsons. And on the other hand, it had to be a bad week for Rich Whitney. Last week, he's the Green Party gubernatorial candidate in Illinois. It turns his name was misspelled on electronic voting machines in 23 wards as not Rich Whitney, but Rich Whitey. And yes, it's noted that half of these wards were in predominantly African-American neighborhoods. Well, again, as we pointed out in this program many, many times, it's just not a good idea to rely upon electronic voting machines. And I'm sure Rich Whitney would agree. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for tweeting. After a study by Sosimos, a social media analytics company, found that 71% of the 1.2 billion tweets posted in the past two months generated no reaction whatsoever. By the way, I had a chance to check out the one-man show by uh, Jack Gallagher, currently at the B Street Theater in Sacramento. Thought it was a pretty good evening. Uh, Jack had a thing or two to say about uh, tweeting. As he pointed out, if it's on a thing called Twitter, shouldn't they be called twits? To which he added, judging by what's going on on these things, they really should be called twits. He proceeded to make fun of, uh, of, of Twitter and Facebook noting that, you know, putting on your Facebook page, uh, Bob's going to go out now and take a long walk to think about things. We really ought to be promoting things like, yeah, while Bob's out there walking, why didn't he start thinking about how to make himself a little more interesting? And Jack Geller pointed out that everyone seems to currently think that they're all stars, but uh, let's face it, most of us aren't. And no, this is, not the, <laughs> this is not the guy that busts the watermelons. That's just Gallagher. This was Jack Gallagher. All right, from the Only in America file, we have the fact that a Florida man has been awarded $650,000 after being hit in the face by a dancer's shoe at a strip club. Supposedly, Michael Ireland, a roofer, was accidentally struck by the platform-heeled shoe of a bar-dancing stripper at the Cheetah nightclub in 2008. Since then, according to his lawyer... He's experienced double vision and dizziness, which, as Laurie notes, is not a good thing for a roofer. Well, no, but I'm sure that one-third of the $650,000 is really good for a lawyer. And i got to say, somebody asked me about a week ago if I really thought all lawyers were that bad, and I said, no, no, I don't. It's that 90% of them that give the rest a bad name. All right, how about this? From the Only in America File Part 2. A North Carolina school district is requiring a criminal background check of parents who want to eat lunch with their young children. Some parents of students in the Charlotte-Mecklenburg school system, system complain that the background checks are over the top. But school officials said the new policy will send a message to parents that their children are protected. All right, I've got a couple items here that really do require the attention of Dr. Andy Jones of 
Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour. It appears Dr. Andy is not available at this exact moment. We're going to see if we can bring him on next week's show to talk about the following two items. The first is as follows. Google loves a challenge, notes New Scientist magazine. And although some would say that translating poetry from one language to another is impossible, Google is working on an automatic poetry translation system and has already translated back into English parts of the French version of Oscar Wilde's Ballad of a Reading Jail. Much to my regret, however, an example of the translation was not included in the article. This new system is based on a modified version of Google's regular translation tool, which is a popular online method of translating prose. Poems, of course, pose a different challenge, says Google. Translations need to match the meter and rhyme used by the poet, be it haiku or iambic pentameter. So, the good people in Mountain View, where uh, Google is headquartered, have uh, developed algorithms that search through all possible translations to find those that fit the required form. Let's just say that Radio Parallax is highly skeptical. We hope next week we'll hear from Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour. But we're especially keen to hear hear from Dr. Andy about part two of this discussion, which also has to do with automatic translation systems. But apparently an inquisitive teenager out there named Binary Pigeon decided to test the ability of such a system. She typed the phrase, I enjoy eating cabbages, into one. She told it to translate this into Japanese and then translate the resulting phrase back into English. In fact, she did that about 20 times with various languages. And after approximately 20 of such translations, the phrase, I enjoy eating cabbages, came back as follows. Therefore, that is eaten because of possibility of fact of thing of possible possibility, designated that and that of a certain specification regarding that reason being shown, it becomes, is inferred, or has been, because either one types whether it has been shown the fact that possibility should do my cabbage to that of the reason of this type. Either one should enjoy some dependence of the range hypothesis or appointments which are shown, whether these appointments of the appointment which is shown are done. Which you have to admit is an uncannily accurate translation of I enjoy eating cabbages. This caused the feedback section of New Scientists to say that In the light of this, feedback hopes that international bodies like the United Nations will continue to rely upon human translators rather than mechanical ones, at least for a while. Yes, this certainly requires some further investigation. And actually, we should backtrack a minute and add uh, one more item from the good, the bad, and the ugly, which would be the last week was a pretty ugly week for free speech. Yes, apparently Juan Williams, an NPR analyst, let it be known on Fox TV's Bill O'Reilly show that he worries when passengers in Muslim dress get on the same plane with him. Now, admittedly, this wasn't the sharpest thing he might have said. As I recall, all of the 9-11 hijackers were not dressed as Muslims when they uh, acted as they did. But I gotta say, if you haven't at least had a momentary twinge at some time in an airport when someone in a Muslim garb walked by, just as a random thought passed through your mind, I'd say that, you know, you weren't normal. 
Is it stupid to think someone who's obviously a Muslim by their attire is a threat to you in an airplane? Yes. Yes, it is. Should you be fired for saying that? Uh, no. Not when your credentials as a civil libertarian are excellent. Not when you point out later in the same interview that uh, being a Muslim and a terrorist are not the same thing, which probably came to a revelation to Bill O'Reilly. This allowed NPR to hand Fox a club with which to beat it. Roger Ailes, the minister of propaganda over at Fox, later was able to posture and say, well, you know what? We're going to keep Juan Williams here at Fox and protect his First Amendment rights. I guess with the passing of Dan Shore, having anybody do any kind of opinion-based analysis at NPR is just just not going to happen. Apparently no one's noticed at National Public Radio that offering an actual opinion seems to be a very popular and successful thing to do on various talk radio programs, and that if you do this, the sky will not fall. I think listeners of NPR understand that, you know, someone is offering up an opinion, an opinion they may disagree with. I am pretty sure that, you know, NPR listeners have got this concept down. Now, apparently NPR was pretty upset about the fact that, that uh, Juan Williams was also working over at Fox. But uh, I'm sorry, in the end, this is just censorship. This is just stupid. Juan Williams is coming out of this smelling like a rose. Fox offered him a $2 million contract to stay over there as, I guess, their new in-house liberal. Whatever happened to Alan Colmes, by the way? The guy who for so long was uh, Sean uh, Hannity's punching bag. Remember the Onion headline about Colmes saying, Alan Colmes loses argument with seven-year-old nephew. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Juan Williams will become the in-house liberal over at Fox. Anyway, let me just add, uh, before closing on this topic, that I'm very grateful to be heard on a couple of community radio programs that um, you know I don't have to face censorship on. Of course, I guess I could say something at some time that would make somebody mad and I'd get yanked off the air. But I think that's highly unlikely. I think the listeners of, of, of uh, stations like KDVS and KZFR understand that someone's offering an opinion, and it may be one that the listener may disagree with. So yeah, I hope you'll all write angry letters to NPR and tell them what jerks they're being. And you know what? <laughs> Let's hear from a guy who always has an opinion about this, that, and the other, and, and we're not going to censor. And be America's foremost political comic, Mr. Will Durst. Hey guys, Will Durst here with one word to explain this year's big new trend in campaign financing. Obliviousness. The Supreme Court ruled that everybody can give as much money as they want to anybody and nobody needs to know about it. How exciting. Being incognizant of which giant corporation is spending how much money for what candidate or why or when it's given. The delicious thrill of existing totally like mushrooms, kept in the dark and fed compost. Reveling in the intense joy of knowing influence peddlers are scurrying around shadowy crevices like cockroaches and the light switch doesn't work. We, the people, are now Helen Keller, blind, deaf, and dumb, with the emphasis on the latter. And nobody cares. Orwell was right. 
Makes no difference where the money's coming from. A religious nut job or a defense contractor or berobed foreign benefactors, offshore, undershore, polyshore. In the old days, Nixon was caught abusing hard money, so after Watergate, Congress replaced it with soft money, but now the floodgates have opened and marvelous misty money is morphing into magic money and eventually will give way to virtual money until Steve Jobs figures out a way to beam commercials straight into your head. And if that prospect doesn't drive you to crazy town, you were hitchhiking in the suburbs to begin with. We all know our politicians are already, how do I put this delicately, beholden to certain special interests. A polite way of saying, whores! But now the ante has been raised. More ghost money means larger favors will be rewarded with a bigger chunk of the public trough. Knee pads will soon be required in every congressional office. The scariest part is, all we're seeing is the tip of the iceberg, and the ship's wheel is broken. Might want to whip out your water wings. Only one question. If ignorance truly is bliss, why ain't I happier? For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. A lot more to say about that in our second segment. All right, let's, uh, let's take a short break and then come back and slog into the swamp of politics, shall we? I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Don't go away. Hey. 